For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonouring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonourable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I think I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this sobering passage that we are going to study this morning and we pray that you would speak to us, that you would teach us and that you would encourage us and Father, that you would also convict us where we need convicting and that your spirit would be deeply at work in our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, this is a heavy passage. Uh, and Paul, uh, we've been talking for some weeks about uh, verses 16 and 17 where I started, where Paul lays out his kind of statement what the whole book of Romans is going to be based on. And he's talking about salvation. And so for the next while, what he's talking about is what we're saved from. We're saved from sin. We're saved from death. And last, the last few weeks we've talked about the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. And this passage is the flip side of that. It's about the unrighteousness that comes when people do not live by faith. That makes sense? Not the righteousness that lived by faith, but this is the, righteous, the unrighteousness that comes when people don't live by God's plan to trust in Jesus. We were always created... To have faith 
to live trusting God, to live relying on God, to live in relationship with him. We were created to be always connected to God. And uh, this passage talks about what happens when we don't live in that connection, which is faith. Okay, I'm doing it in four parts, and uh, I haven't got them clearly laid out. So the first part is this. The wrath of God, or you know wrath means anger. The anger of God is revealed. And so verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's kind of the the overview of the next 14 verses or so. Is God angry with sin? It's actually a present tense for the wrath of God is revealed, or the Greek would say it is being revealed. It's an ongoing revealing uh, God's anger against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. It's a continuous activity and God is active in that. Now, wrath is a word or anger is a word that people just don't like to attribute to God. Um, but you see, his wrath, I think the problem, one of the biggest problems we have is that we see the irrational anger of humanity and we go, God must be like that except bigger wrath, bigger anger, bigger flying off the handle. And that's not God's wrath at all. His, remember uh, in the Old Testament, when he appeared to Moses, says, slow to anger. Now what does that mean? doesn't mean he doesn't get angry. It means his, his anger is measured, it's controlled, it's righteous, it's holy, and it's pure. And so it's against sin. It's now that's all right. We we can get that it's against sin, but in one sense you can't separate sin from a sinner, and that's the problem. One of the problems we have. And people say, God, He hates your sin, but He loves you, and that's that's okay. Um, it's true that He loves us, and it's true that He hates our sin, but unfortunately, you can't actually separate sin and sinners. Uh, that's why when someone lies, you call them a liar. When someone murders, you call them a murderer. And it's why when someone gets convicted of murder, we don't put their sin in jail. Okay, we put them in jail. Does that make sense? So Psalm 5, verse 4 to 6 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful will not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Not you hate all evil, you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors, which means hates deeply or despises deeply, the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. And and just to say it again, hell will not be the place where all sin goes. It will be the place where those who don't trust in Jesus who are sinners go. Does does that make sense? Yes, sin will go there, travelling with people. So many don't accept God's wrath, but understand this. If we are not rightly anger, angry with cruelty, then we are not holy people. If you see rape and murder on TV and you don't have some sort of righteous anger with it, then you don't love. Because love is always angry with sin. It hates. It, it, it abhors sin. Okay? 
So, and God in His holiness and in His love must hate all sin. Picture it. It's hard to put it down onto us when it's God. But picture a, a, a parent who has a drug addict for a child. Do they not hate that? Every part of it. Because they love. Do you understand? They hate the sin because of what it does. Does that make sense? It's not a perfect analogy, but it'll do. Okay, in verse 17, it said the righteousness is, righteousness is revealed from faith. And here it says wrath is revealed to those who refuse to believe the gospel, who refuse to trust in Jesus. So the same gospel produces two actions of God. Righteousness and wrath against sin. It's not two gospels. There's one. And the wrath of God is against those... Did you notice this? They know the truth. These are not ignorant people. There is a rebellious people. So verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they're without excuse. Now, the verse 19 says, For what can be known, the Greek word there is basically knowable. What can be knowable about God is plain to them. It's been showed to them. It's been revealed. His whole creation points to him. It's just that they refuse to believe what they know to be true. That's rebellion. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God. That's why people who refuse to believe in God argue against him. Have you noticed that? Atheists are never happy being atheists. They've got to be God-haters. They've got to speak against God. Okay, So it's because they knew God. Although they knew God, they did not honour him as God. They didn't want him as God. And, and, and then so in the end of verse 19, it says, So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honour him. They did not honour him. That four in the middle, I don't know if you can see that up there, it's actually, it, it's a word that means because. So they are without excuse because, although they knew God, they did not honour him as God. And so, that's point one. The wrath of God is being revealed. Point two is this. They replace God or exchange God for idols. They replace him with idols. So we're going to read on verse 21, but I want you to notice from verse 21, the heart of this is about idolatry, and idolatry is all sin, the heart of all sin. And I'll explain that in a minute. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Can you see what they did? There's an exchange. God for a lie. 
the truth for a lie. In the beginning it said they did not honour him as God nor gave him thanks. In not honouring him, they honoured something else because everybody is honouring something in life. Everybody is worshipping something. Worship is the constant state of the human heart. We are always worshipping, nor gave him thanks. When you honour something, you treat something as the highest object in your life, so you naturally worship it. Now, God is the creator of all. He's the one who gave humanity life. He gave us meaning. He gave us purpose. He put it in our place. He gave us that definition. He gave us everything. And in love, he did that. He created in love. And he's never stopped loving his creatures. So if we were to replace the worship of him who, is, who has done everything for something else trivial, like a man or an animal or something in this world, that's, it's the greatest of sins. Adultery is the greatest of sins. Can you understand that? Those who are evil, their entire life, at every moment comes from him, they reject him and they, re- and they worship a created thing. People, pleasures, activities, even sports. How are they? Imagine God being the God of this universe and then worshipping a football. When we worship something he has made, over him he is rightly angry. Because it is dishonouring. It is evil. And his anger burns mostly in the Bible. The greatest of punishments you will ever see is against idolatry. Because it's an exchange from him. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me or beside me. That's because the heart of all sin starts there. And in the beginning, the devil said to Adam and Eve, you will be like God. So what do you want to exchange God with? Yourself. Put yourself up there first. You can be God yourself. You can imagine the problem that happened immediately. Eve says, so I want to be God. And Adam says, so I want to be God. So Eve's going to serve me and Adam's going, you serve me. And then you understand the problem. If you add that to 7 billion people who all want to be God, then you see why there's an issue in this world. Okay? Everybody wants to be worshipped. So you get jealousy, slander, anger, competitiveness, murder. It all flows from that, doesn't it? I'm the sinner, not you. Just so you know. Everybody is worshipping all of the time. Either God or something else. We were made to honour him as God and give thanks to him. Now giving thanks, this verse bit here is just so key to it. But when you give thanks, it's actually, it's, it's actually the answer uh, to not idolatrizing something. If idolatrizing was a word. Not idolatrizing. I don't know what it is. Not making an idol of something. I'll put it this way. I love my wife. She can become an idol to me. That's a fact. If I, if, I put my, if I put her as the object of my satisfaction and worship, she'll become an idol. So what can I do? Give thanks to God for her. And saying, it's not her, it's you, God. And then I can endure her as my wife. I enjoy my house 
on a cold day when the fire's been going all night and you wake up and it's 20 degrees inside and it's frost on the lawn. Now, I can idolatrise my house. Plenty of people do. Or I give thanks. Thanks, God, for a warm house. Can you see how it dethrones idols just to simply give thanks for the good things in life? I'm not talking about that idolatry. There's so much in life, so much idolatry is for, for the things that are wrong. But in this case, giving thanks to God, it, it dethrones an idol. Give thanks to, the, for, to him for the food you get. Give thanks to him for the money you have in the bank. Then how can it be an idol? It comes from him. That's what you're saying by giving thanks, isn't it? Okay. When we trust in God and we give him thanks for Jesus Christ, we trust in his uh, resurrection plan. By, by Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we live by faith. We undo all of our idols. Can you see? Because by faith in him, then we don't have faith in anything else. Okay. Idolatry leads to, and some of the things that said there were futile thinking, foolish darkened hearts, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Futile lusts of heart. It, lust is actually worship. It's kind of an uncontrolled. You see, what you give your time, you want to find an idol, it's what you give your time, your energy, particularly your thoughts, your love, your resources. You've, you see, you've got to serve an idol. You've got to get down on your knees before it at some point. You've got to give to it. That's just what happens. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And as good as that, that God or that item may seem, you will naturally give to it. Or you can give your time, your energy, your thoughts, the meditations of your heart, your resources to God. If you do that, your life will be balanced. It will be normal. It will, it will actually probably have a lot less adrenaline because lust stirs up a kind of, there's a fuel behind it, it, it because it's insatiable, an insatiable worship that replaces God with something else. It never satisfies. It always demands more. No matter how much you give to an idol, it will want more. More time, more energy, more thoughts, more worry, more love. And it becomes hopeless. It becomes darkened. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Dark, lust brings darkened thoughts. It's darkened worship. Thinking they were wise, and the Greek word there is something like claiming to be wise, pretending to be wise, they became fools. Because you see, wisdom without faith is foolishness. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Yeah? So if you take the fear of the Lord out, that wisdom is foolishness. All the theories, the insights, the studies, the, all of the wisdom of this world, if you take the Creator and the Redeemer out of that, if you take the glorification of God and the giving thanks to Him out, you end up with futile, pretending, darkened hearts, foolish minds, impurity, replacing God with ourselves. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves. 
They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Did you see the bit in the middle there where it says, to the dishonouring of their own bodies among themselves? When you dishonour God, you dishonour your own body. Your life was created to have God at the centre. And when you take him out of the centre, it causes your body great harm. We're doing things that we say are good, which actually causes harm. We live in a lie because we've exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie. And that lie results in all sorts of sin. Because there's a natural progression from idolatry to wrong passions to all sorts of evil. As soon as you take the step into idolatry, you're on the roller coaster downwards. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonourable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nation, at nature. And men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for the evil. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not or what ought not to be done. Um, he's going to go on to a, another list and he says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. I'm going to keep reading. It hurts this passage, doesn't it? They're filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to God. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, sometimes we think the world's getting worse, don't we? This is 2,000 years ago. There hasn't been a change. Uh, I remember my grandpa telling me once, uh, uh, he said in, in the early 1900s, before World War I, he said the world was a debased place. He said there was exactly the same lust and, and hatred and murder now. When people say the world's getting worse, it's not getting worse. It's just the same as it always has been. Because whenever the world is in idolatry, this is what it looks like. All sorts of lust, uh, sexual sin, homosexual acts that dishonour God, and then that horrific list there. That is the world without worshipping God the one who created them. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and wickedness and they replace God with idols. Third point is this. Did you notice it said three times in this passage, God handed them over? God handed them over. In verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, in verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonourable passages, passions. sorry. And then somewhere else it said, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. He actively allowed those who rebelled against him, his punishment for them was this. You will do what you have decided to do. And that to them might sound great. Hey, God says, God's given me free reign to sin in every way. And that's the very punishment for their sin. 
it actively lets them continue in their idolatry. Whereas those who have trusted in Jesus, who received the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36 says, and I will put my spirit within them and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When you trust in Jesus, he drives you to be obedient and he lets you live in the fullness of obedience. And when you don't trust in Jesus, then he turns you over to your sin. In one very real sense, when, when anybody is in hell, they will be there because they wanted to be there. And God gave them what they wanted. Does that make sense? Those who will not honour him, he lets them continue in their path. And this is great punishment. It is the wrath of God. It's a frightening punishment. People living in the sin they desire. In Psalm 75 verse 7, it says this, But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wickedness of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. In other words, the cup of evil that they desire, he gives it to them, and he makes them drink it right down to the froth at the bottom. It's full of what? It's full of what they want to do. And there's nothing worse than that. I can, I, I can remember being a teenager and because I lived a very sheltered life on the farm I lived, I saw the, the parties people were having and all the things they were doing and I desired it so much. I wanted what they had. And I, I think in a very real way over the next few years... God gave me that cup and he made me drink it. And it's horrific. Don't desire sin. Don't look at someone sinning around you and go, it'd be great to be like that. It's not. Sin is horrible. The natural progression from idolatry to wrong passions to all sorts of evil then is to encourage other people to do exactly the same. Verse 32, Though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Well, that's our society, isn't it? Encouraging others to sin because it justifies our own sin. Teaching our children to sin. Protesting for our right to sin. And God handing us over to the very thing that we want. And the punishment is living in sin. And that is the state of the whole world without God's merciful intervention that comes through Jesus. That is the world living without faith. But the righteousness of God has been revealed. The purity the wholeness, the joy, the peace comes through faith. It comes all through Jesus. God has revealed all that's necessary to bring his complete righteousness to us. But his anger remains. See, Jesus said this in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. That's the righteousness of God. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's the two paths that the Gospel brings. 
God has given us a wonderful gift. While we were stuck in our sin, while we were yet sinners, he revealed his righteousness, his righteousness that comes through Jesus. What are we to do? Love him above all else. Put aside all idols constantly. Give him the shelf. Give thanks to God for all that's good. Leave behind all that's bad. And at every moment, live by faith in Jesus Christ in the good news of what he's done. And by repentance and faith, we honour God as God. We honour Christ as Lord and Saviour. We honour him and we give him thanks for everything because all thanks and praise belongs to him alone and we worship him alone. This is, it seems like a bad news passage. It is not. Paul is showing the incredible contrast as black is from white, as what it is to worship and follow Jesus and live in all of the fullness of the righteousness that he has as compared to all of the pain and the misery of idolatry and sin. This is not a passage which is saying, leave behind all of those, start getting that list. This is a passage which says, trust in the Lord Jesus because he's the only answer. You can never make yourself that good. You need the righteousness that comes from Christ alone. So put your faith in him. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the seriousness of sin and where we are playing with it on the edges, where we're being sucked in by idols, and drawn away from faith. I pray that you expose that, that we might again turn our hearts to the gift of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. Father, we want to confess we have often sinned. We've fallen short of your glory. I pray that you would show us again the incredible righteousness that comes through Jesus, that we might trust in him and live in all of the fullness that you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.